want you to take your Bible tonight and I want to uh, look with you at Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. I want to look at a man in the Bible that is one of my heroes, the man Joseph. How many Josephs are here tonight? Would you raise your hand if your name is Joseph? All right, one over here. Keep your hand up. Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Good. Brother Parker over here. Good. I, I knew you'd raise your hand. Uh, Joseph is a great name. I have my grandfather, uh, Grandpa Bushy. His first name was Joseph. My uncle is named Joseph, and my youngest sister married a Joseph. A lot of Josephs in my family. The, the name Joseph means to add. And when you study the story of Joseph in the Bible, that's exactly what he did. Everywhere he went, he added to it. Uh, he went to Potiphar's house. He was a slave, but he made it a better place. They put him in prison. He was a convict. He made it a better place. Pharaoh pulled him out, put him on the throne, and he made all of Egypt and all of the world a better place. What a great name. What a great heritage to have the name Joseph. Uh, I want to read the story to you of when Pharaoh brought Joseph out of prison because he had had an unusual dream and he asked if somebody could explain the dream. And you'll remember the story. The butler had had his dream explained by Joseph while he was in prison. And so uh, that triggered his memory after two years. He said, oh, I remember, I remember a guy. Oh, I, I was supposed to help him get out. Uh, but th this guy can explain dreams. And so they went and got Joseph and very quickly pulled him out and, and showered and shaved him and put new clothes on him. And, and, uh, and suddenly there he was a stand before, before Pharaoh from the prison cell to the throne room in a matter of minutes. And Pharaoh said, explain the dream. And Joseph, of course, with God's help, did explain the dream. And the dream was a forewarning of trouble that was coming. And Pharaoh needed somebody to tell him how to fix the problem. And so Joseph gave him a very wise answer. And uh, I want to look at these verses and I want to show you the answer that Joseph gave him. Before I do that, uh, tonight is the night I've been looking forward to. Every, every morning my alarm clock goes off and I think, is it Wednesday? Uh, I've really, really been excited about getting here and teaching this. So probably out of the, out of the three lessons, that, the two that I've taught and this one, this is my favorite of the three. And I believe the most practical of the three. And I, I believe God gave us a very practical book. I think that God gave us the Bible, not just to tick off how many boxes, how many chapters we read every day, but because we're supposed to apply it to our life and use it. And certainly in the area of money, that's something that we use every day. And so if we can find out what God taught us about money, it's something that we can use every day. And so uh, tonight I want to talk about budgets. That's not a cuss word. Uh, most budgets are, uh, well, if you weren't Christian, you'd cuss at them. Uh, I've, I've studied so many different types of budgets and I've looked at so many budgets and I've I found one similarity about 99.9% .9 of the budgets. They don't work. You've got a, lot, a whole long list of lines, you know, and I'm going to spend this many dollars on groceries and this many dollars on gas and this many dollars on clothes for the kids and this many dollars on dog food and this many dollars on the mortgage or the rent and this many dollars on the electric. And, and life doesn't cooperate because you, you decide how many dollars you're going to spend on groceries and then your mother-in-law decides to come and visit. And so you take the money out of the clothing fund to make it work and then the next week your child puts a hole in the bottom of their shoe and you have to buy new clothes. So you take that out of the electric fund and then the electric bill shows up and it was $20 more than you were expecting. 
and you fiddle with that for about three weeks and you throw it out the window and say, this is crazy, it doesn't work. Tonight I'm going to do something that I'm excited about doing. I want to give you a biblical budget. And it is going to be very simple, very easy to understand, very easy to use, and you can literally start using it with your very next paycheck and it will revolutionize your finances and it will revolutionize your life. And I believe it's God's plan and I think you'll see why. There are true principles in the, in the Bible that we're going to use to put this budget together that all of us can use. And it's extremely flexible. It works for whoever you are, wherever you are. And I want you to see what God says about it. So look, if you would, in Genesis chapter 41 and look at verse 33 with me. Pharaoh has asked Joseph to explain the dream. Joseph has explained the dream and now without being asked, he gives some uh, extra advice at the end, starting in verse 33. Joseph says, now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Now notice verse 38. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Here is a heathen foreign king looking at a slave who is a child of God, and the king says, this guy has the Spirit of God in him, not because of his standards, because the world really doesn't care about our standards. They're not impressed by them. In fact, they think that we're all a little bit weird. Our hair's too short, our skirts are too long, we're just strange. Our standards are not what impresses the world. Pharaoh said, here's a man who has the spirit of God in him, not because he was carrying a King James Bible, because Joseph didn't even have a Bible. Wasn't impressed by that at all. Wasn't impressed by Joseph's church attendance. <laughs> he hadn't been to church in a number of years. He'd, he'd been, uh, well, in the prison ministry. But here's a heathen king looking at a child of God and saying, this guy has the spirit of God in him because Joseph knew the right way to handle finances. Can I say this? When the world looks at us, they are not impressed by the things that we think are important in our lives, but there is one thing that is a part of all of our lives that is extremely impressive to the world and does get their attention, and that is when we handle our finances correctly. Because if you have high dress standards and you go to church regularly and you have the right Bible in your hand and you do not pay your bills on time, the world is not impressed. When you are dishonest with your money, the world is not impressed. But when they see a child of God 
who has their finances in order and has some wisdom and understanding about how to handle their money, the, the, the world says, oh, there's somebody that's clued up. There's somebody that's got, you know what? I, I've been watching you and it looks like your God is blessing you. When we were in Thailand, I met a man there. He was 50 years old. He had been driving a pickup truck his whole life. They're called Song Tao's. They're, they're literally a pickup truck with two metal benches welded in the back. And from the time that this man was old enough to drive until 50 years old, he got up every morning and, and he drove that pickup truck from the village where he lived to the nearest market, back and forth, back and forth. And people that needed to go to the market or come home from the market would jump on the back of that truck and sit on those metal benches. And then when they got to their destination, they would hop off and go to the front window and they would pay him for the ride. And the average ride was six cents. And this man, his name is Sangat, had been making six cents a ride from the time he was old enough to drive until he was 50 years old. and. He was an avid idol worshiper. He started coming to our church, and it took a long time for him to trust me. He finally got to the point where he would come into the services and listen to this great big farang stand up front and preach. That's me, I'm the farang. And he would listen to me preach, and he would always sit in the back row and kind of a skeptical look on his face, and he would listen until one Sunday, I opened my Bible and I preached against idolatry. Now, preaching against idolatry in Thailand is a little different than preaching against idolatry in America. We preach against idolatry here. We talk about, you know, don't worship sports and money and, and uh, your new car and so on. In Thailand, I preached against bowing down and praying to a tree. And don't carve a little idol out of a stone and pray to it. That's not God. Well, he got mad. This, this fellow sit in the back and he's been praying to idols his whole life and he got mad. And he left. He wouldn't come back for three months. And when he did come back, he would only come when somebody else was preaching. As soon as I stood up, he'd get up and walk out of the room. It took about two years before we were finally able to give this man the gospel, and he was gloriously saved. And he went back home and he said to his wife, I got saved. I'm not a Buddhist anymore. I'm a Christian now. And she was not happy. And we had a Valentine's Day, a special Sunday at our church, and we encouraged all the couples to come. And because uh, he was saved and excited about it, he convinced his wife, you've got to come to the church because it's Valentine's Sunday. And he dragged her along, and she came, and I could tell by her face she was not glad to be there, but she, she came because it was Valentine's Day. And she, uh, after the service, she went outside, and my wife followed her, and the two of them got in the back of that pickup truck with the two metal benches welded there, sat down, and my wife led her to Christ. A few weeks later, they both got baptized. I remember distinctly when they made the decision that they were going to start coming on Sunday night. You have to understand, these people are so poor that if they come to church Sunday morning and Sunday night, they can't make enough money to eat on Monday. Coming to church on Sunday night is a sacrifice. And they started coming to church on Sunday night. I remember the first time he told me that God had answered his prayer. He loved the church. He loved the people in church. He wanted to be a blessing to them. And he prayed and he said, God, please let me give some fruit to the church family. And he came to me one Sunday morning and he was so excited because somebody, as they were getting ready to go to church, had come by the house and handed him a box of fruit. It's a Thai fruit. It's called ngā. You can say that if you want. Ngā. Ngā. You have to say it way in the back of your throat. Anyway, he brought a box of angot, and uh, he was so over the moon. He was, he was so excited. He said, he said, Pastor, I prayed, and do you know what happened? God answered my prayer. 
About a month later, somebody bought him a brand new truck. He came to me and he said, what is going on? He said, I was a Buddhist for 50 years and Buddha never answered any of my prayers. He said, I, I prayed to Buddha for 50 years and I was still saving the same, driving the same truck and still getting six cents a trip. What's going on? I said, Sangat, God is real. When the flood came and our church was destroyed and our homes were destroyed and the team had to move three hours south, Sangat's house was also destroyed. His wife's name is Jum. And Sangat and Jum followed us down to the city of Hui Hin where we started the new church. They came totally by faith. They had no income. They, the truck was destroyed. They lost everything they owned. They literally lived in, the, in, in a single room in the back of our language school and had no way of living. We, we, we gave them a little money out of the offering, uh, just enough to stay alive. But he said, I'm going to stay because he said, I have found God. He came to me one day and he said, Pastor Bush, he said, my, my sister-in-law gave us some money and uh, we have found an opportunity where we can start a business that will support our family. Their business was literally a stand half the size of this pulpit with a little waffle maker on the top and they could make waffles and sell them to people as they walked by on the street and support their family. He said, Pastor, he said, if you can loan me $600, I can start a business and I can support my family. And so we found the money and we worked out a payment plan and, and how he would pay back that $600. And that sounds like nothing to us, but that is an absolute fortune to those people. And uh, he got that business up and running and God blessed that business. They put Bible verses all over that stand. All the stands around them had little Buddhist statues and little, little uh, lucky, lucky statues. And, and uh, they had fruit there and water to appease the evil spirits and, and all the heathenism that's there in Thailand. And, and then you come to this one understand it's covered with Bible verses they wanted everybody to know we're Christian we're not Buddhist and God began to bless that 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 business of theirs and I remember Sangat came to me one Sunday and he said pastor he said last weekend was a long weekend a three-day weekend and we made more money last weekend than we borrowed from you originally they come to church every Sunday they wear nice clothes they tithe they're both avid soul winners win people to Christ every week great people and his family said, we don't know what happened to you, but we're going to come and move and live next to you because we want some of that good luck that's coming off you to come over and fall on us. When the world watches you, they're not impressed that you go to church every week. They're not impressed that you can quote Bible verses. But when you got your money in order, that gets their attention. Here's a heathen king that says, I don't know, what, what is this with this guy? Hey, hey, servants, you notice this guy? He's got the Spirit of God on him. Now, if you look at that, that, that passage that we read tonight, there are two principles in there that I want you to notice, and if you want to write them on the back of your bulletin, you can, the first two blanks. These are the two principles that Joseph used when he gave advice to a ruler of an entire country on how to handle his finances. This is what he said. He said, number one, we're going to have the right priorities and number two, we're going to use percentages. Now let me talk about percentages first, because when you read through the Bible, you find a book that is full of percentages. Do you remember when Israel came out of Egypt and they were basically a nation of ex-slaves? They had no skills, no talent. Well, well, they knew how to make mud bricks. 
Literally, that's the only skills they had. They had no trained soldiers. They had no trained leaders. They were just a whole a million and a half, two million, I've heard even three million uh, ex-slaves coming out of Egypt into the wilderness. And God had to give Moses a whole set of rules on how to govern a country. And within that set of rules, there are some fees or taxes that God gave that were set amounts. One example is the temple tax. In the book of Leviticus, God gave a temple tax that every male that went to the temple had to give a half a shekel. You know, modern Jews, modern practicing Jews still pay that temple tax, but it's, it's just symbolic. And so if they're in America and they go to the temple, they give half a dollar. They literally put 50 cents in for their temple tax. If they're in Israel today, they give a half a shekel in Israel. Whatever country they're in, they give a half of whatever that monetary unit is because it's just symbolic. And there are a few taxes or fees or sacrifices that God said give this set amount, always a very small amount so that even a poor person can give uh, and, and so it's fair to everyone. But, but most of the time when God tells us to give, God says give a percentage. The tithe is a percentage. I don't know what you make. Maybe you don't know what you make. But God says, whatever you make, I want 10%. That's a percentage. God said if a man steals something and he gets caught, he has to pay back what he stole plus a fifth part. Simple math, that's 20%. If you steal something and get caught, boy, that'd take care of a lot of things in America, wouldn't it? It'd also break a lot of politicians. But if you stole something and you had to pay back what you stole and you had to add 20% to it, that would be a great deterrent, I think. That's a Bible principle. It's called a percentage. Did you know that when the Jews brought their tithes to the temple, uh, that when the Levites received the tithes, that they had to tithe off of the tithe? What percent is that? Anybody here tonight? Is there anybody that knows math that can tell me what a tithe of a tithe is? What's 10% of 10%? 1%. Thank you. Somebody woke up. Uh, 1%. So, so when, a, when the Jews brought the tithe to the temple, the Levites would take 1% of the income of the Jews, and that was set aside for a special purpose. Again, that's a percentage. When, when, when Pharaoh brought Joseph in and said, explain the dream to me, and the answer to the dream is, you're going to have seven good years and then seven years of famine. Joseph said, now, while I'm here, I'm just going to keep talking. I'm going to give this, this Pharaoh, this heathen king, some really good advice, and here's my advice. Use a percentage. Take a fifth part, take 20% out for the tax. I don't want to get into politics tonight because I want to teach you finances, but boy, if America went to a flat rate 20% tax, this, this country would be so much better off so much faster. It's a Bible principle. Joseph said, tax them 20% and put it aside because we got some bad days coming, and when the bad days come, you're going to have some food set aside, and it's going to take care of your people. And Pharaoh said, this guy knows God. This guy knows God because his finances are in order. This guy knows God because he knows how to handle money. He knows what to do with what God's given him. So the, 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 prior, the, the, the percentage there, God works on percentages, and there are numerous examples in the Bible. But when God gives you money, God expects you to handle it by percentages. 
God said, give me the first fruits. And God is very clear, that's the first 10%. I've had people tell me I can't afford to tithe. If you take the first 10%, you can always afford to tithe. If you pay everything else first, maybe you can't. But if you take the first 10% and give that to God, you will always have enough to give to God. God works on percentages. Now, tonight I'm going to give you a budget that you can use for your own family, and the budget is built on percentages. Not on, I'm going to use $100 for my electric bill, $60 for groceries, $20 for clothes. That's not real life. But we're going to build a budget that's set on percentages. Number two is priorities. You set your budget by priorities. What is most important in your life? If you're looking there on the back of your bulletin, if you're filling these blanks in, uh, number one is percentages or priorities, and the other one is the other one, and I don't really care which way you do it. Uh, you can swap them around if you want to, but percentages and priorities, priorities and percentages, those are the two Bible principles that we're going to use. When you get your money, there are some things that are more important than other things. And the world is an expert at confusing your priorities. The world is an expert at marketing. Have you ever noticed that those flyers, that great big stack of, of flyers that come that advertise everything under the sun that's on sale this week, have you ever noticed that they always show up two days before your paycheck? That's not a mistake. There are people that make big money studying you and figuring out how you think and how you work and how you buy so that they can get you to spend your money by the wrong priorities. I was talking to a lady in Myers the other day, and I was way, way in the back corner getting some milk. Why do they put milk way, way in the back corner? That's not a mistake. Because when you say, oh, honey, I'm just going to run in for a gallon of milk, you've got to run past everything else that they got on sale to get all the way to the back corner of the store, and on the way, you are bound to say, oh, I forgot, I need one of those. They study us. They know how we think. And we reprioritize on the fly because, hey, I got a flyer in the mail and this is on sale. God said, I want you to prioritize. Figure out what is the most important. Put the flyers in the garbage for a few weeks and spend your money on purpose. Have some character. Decide what is most important and spend your money that way. Now, I want to work through this budget with you, and I want to show you some Bible verses, and I've got to move quickly here. But we're going to help you to set up a budget that is set by priorities. If I talk too fast, I apologize. I'm from New York, and Yankees talk fast. Uh, if I talk too fast and you can't understand, the book is for sale out front for $15, and it has all of this in there. And also, if you can last through me and the business meeting and you want to come to the West Overflow Room, I'll answer questions afterwards. And uh, if that still doesn't work, call me during the week. I love helping people. Setting a budget by priorities. What is the most important obligation that you have? Uh, let's go back. Let me stop for a second. Go back to the percentages on the back of your bulletin. Let's fill in those blanks. God uses percentages because God is fair. A rich man can give 10%, a poor man can give 10%, a child can give 10%, a native that makes six cents per ride can give 10%. God is fair. When you tithe, you use a percentage. 
Line, line number three, this percentage should be taken from your gross salary. That means you give God the first 10% before taxes, before insurance, before Social Security, before anything else. God gets the first fruit. So that the tithe is always taken from the gross salary. Next line, when you pay your debts, you should use a percentage. And I spoke about debts a little bit last week. I'll talk a little bit more about them tonight. But when you pay your debts, you should use a percentage. Don't let the credit card's stated minimum payment decide how much you pay. Use a percentage. Number, line number five, when you save, you should use a percentage. And last line there, these percentages can be taken from your net salary. So you, your tithe must be taken from the gross uh, salary and then your debts and your saving can be taken from either the gross or the net and I'm going to show you in a minute that it's very flexible you make it work for you and then you, you work, plan your work and then you work your plan you plan your money and then you spend money according to your plan all right now when you set your budget by priorities what is the most important obligation that you have each month you pay your landlord that's God he owns your land how many of you own a house? No, you don't. If the bank doesn't own your house, then the government does. And if you think I'm lying, stop paying your taxes. And you'll find out just how much it's your house. But that's okay, because this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I rent from God. And I pay my tithe to pay my rent. That's my most important obligation because if somebody in this world is going to be mad at me, I don't want it to be God. I'd rather have the banker mad at me than God. I'd rather have my landlord angry with me than God. I'd rather have my wife. I think I'd rather have my wife angry with me than God. I'm not sure there's a difference, but <laughs> I, I don't want God mad at me. I don't. I don't want, I want God's smile when he looks at Mark Bushy. And so I'm going to give God his 10% first. That is always going to be my highest priority. Look in your Bible at Proverbs chapter 3. Turn there quickly, please. Proverbs chapter 3. And look at verse 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. The Bible says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God says, give me that first part. That is the highest priority. And when God comes first in our lives, then God blesses us accordingly. So that is always going to be priority number one. And God has already set the percentage. It's 10% of our gross salary. That's ordained by God not changeable. Priority number two, the second priority in your budget is your debt. And the reason that this is your second priority is because your integrity hinges upon it. You have literally spent money that you have not made yet, and you've done that on your word. You've said, I'm going to take this car, and I'm going to give you the money later, and you signed a contract, and a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And so you've made a commitment there, and that is your highest priority because, as I said last week, besides your salvation, the most valuable thing you have on this earth is your integrity. When God tested Job, Job said, I might die, but I'm not going to give up my integrity. 
And so, number one, your highest priority is to give that tithe, which is the priority number one, and the percentage is 10%, and that's to keep God happy. Number two, priority number two, and we'll talk about the percentage in a second, but that is to keep your reputation, maintain your integrity in the eyes of the world that we are supposed to be light and salt too. Trust me, you cannot be salt when you're behind on your bills. You cannot be a bright light when you haven't paid somebody the money that you owe them. That's going to be a huge barrier between you. And when you go and say, yeah, I, look, I know I owe you $5,000 and I know I promised to pay you last year, but let me tell you how to go to heaven. You're going to be very ineffective because you have denied the thing that really matters to the world that we live in. And that is the money. So priority number two is to pay your debts. Look in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. I just quoted this to you. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. That means if you have to lose the silver and gold to keep the good name, you made a good trade. Amen. Keep your good name. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 19, verse 1. The Bible says, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. God said if you have to lose the money and be poor to keep your integrity you made a good trade. Keep your integrity. That's a pretty high priority in God's kingdom. God said, I want my people to be honest. You know what God's doing? God's saying, I'm going to give you a way that you can live with your finances that will please me, will be good testimony of the world, and will be like Jesus Christ. Is Jesus, is Jesus Christ the truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't lie. He keeps his word. He is faithful and true. It's, it's on the garment, on his right thigh when, he, when we see him in heaven. He is a righteous God. Simply means he's always right. If we're going to be his children and follow him, then we have to be honest and right. So I have some priorities in my life. When I get my money, God gets the first 10%. Highest priority, a set percentage. But my second priority is somewhat, it, it's always going to be second, and that is to pay my debts. But the percentage is not set by the Bible. I want to make a suggestion. I would suggest that you sit down and find all your debts and put together all of your minimum payments and find out what you would have to pay every month to be honest and then decide to add a little bit more to it. If you take your, all of your debts and you, find, you put it all together and you say, oh, good night, I'm in trouble, Brother Bushy, all the minimum payments put together are 17% of my income. Congratulations, now you have a percentage. And the percentage is set by God because God said, I'd rather have you poor and have your integrity. You made a commitment to pay that bill. You signed a piece of paper somewhere. You signed up for your internet or you signed up for a car payment or you signed up for faith promise. You pay what you said you'd pay. Keep your integrity. That is a commitment that you make. And, and when you set a commitment, when you set a percentage, if you can add to it, do you know that the credit card companies are not your friend? Did you know they do not send you those pretty little pieces of plastic because they like you? Do you know that they have absolutely no interest whatsoever in getting you out of debt? Do you know that they will set your minimum payment so that it will keep you in debt forever? Did you know that? 
They have it all very carefully calculated so that if you pay the minimum payment every month, the interest that you're paying on the debt is almost identical to the minimum payment and you'll stay in debt. You can pay on that for 10 years and still owe exactly what you started with. They're not dumb. Maybe we are, but they're not. And when you pay a little bit extra, you start winning the game and you start getting out of debt. So if your minimum payments are 7%, pay 9%, pay 10%. Pick a percentage and say, you know what? Every time I get paid, I'm gonna take 10% out and give it to God, and I'm gonna take 17% out and pay off my debts because that is a very high priority, and I'm gonna choose a percentage. Do you know that when my children turn nine years old, they start getting an allowance. All of my children got their first allowance on their ninth birthday. And I sat down with each one of them and I said, now, I said, when you get your allowance, we're gonna have some priorities and some percentages. And the first priority is God, and so you're gonna put 10% in the offering plate and all of my children started tithing at their ninth birthday. I give them an allowance, not because they do work around the house, not because, they're, not because I'm buying them off, not because I'm paying them to be good kids, I give them allowance so I can train them how to handle money. And I say, give God 10%, and then I teach them with the rest of it how to handle these different priorities. Folks, if you've got debt, set a percentage that's going to pay off that debt and stick to it. You don't have to say it's going to be $10 a month or $20 a month. Just every time that I get a dollar, God gets 10 cents and Visa gets 17 cents until the stupid thing's paid off. Priority number three is your future. We talked about it last week. We talked about the ant. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and be wise. We have a future coming. Do you know what Joseph said? Joseph said, take 20% because there's some bad days coming down the road. Let's get ready for them now. Wow. I don't know who this guy is. Just came out of prison. Got a suit that doesn't fit and a fresh shave, but he's got the Spirit of God on him because he's wise enough to plan for the future. Now, there are many people that come to me and because of their debt, they say, I cannot possibly save. And we start at the top. I say, here's what you need to do. Number one, you've got to start tithing. And maybe the numbers don't work, but you've got to have God smiling at you. Number two, we're going to start paying off your debts. And number three, you're going to start to save. And they scream and they say, oh, I can't afford to save. And I say, you make $300 a week. Can you put $3 a week in a savings account? That's 1%. Let's start with 1%. Can you save 1%? Do you know if you save 1%, $3 a week, at the end of the year, you got $156 in the bank, and the next time you blow a tire, you don't have to borrow money from a friend, you've got some money in the bank. You know, if you have enough money in the bank, you don't need a lot of the insurances that are offered because you can be your own insurance company. Do you know if you have a little bit of money in the bank that you can get higher deductibles on a lot of your insurance and get the same insurance for half the price? just by putting 1% in the bank every week. Now, I think you should put more than 1% in the bank, but many people have to start there. And again, in my book, I say 10, 10, and 10. Give God 10%, use 10% for, for debts, and put 10% into your savings account. But I know that in real life, that has to be very flexible, and you've got to decide what's going to work for you. But let me encourage you to sit down and say, I'm going to find out what God says is important. I know the tithe is number one. He's going to get 10%. That's settled. I'm going to sit down and figure out what my minimum payments are, add a little bit to that, and that's going to be the percentage for my debts 
and then I'm going to start saving a little bit every week or every, every two weeks or every month, and I'm just going to, I'm going to put it away and forget about it, and I'm going to let it grow, and one day when we have a family calamity and other families are literally falling apart, pulling their kids out of school, moving to get a new job, I'm going to have a safety net there that's going to protect my family. Do you know that Ecclesiastes says money is a defense? That's in your Bible. The wisest man that ever lived besides our Savior wrote that in the Bible. Money is a defense. It protects you from calamity. All right, very quickly, number four, your next priority is your living expenses. That's your bills. That's your electric. That's your groceries. That's your gas. That's what you have to have to live. And the percentage is whatever you have to have to live because that's the way life is. And you can take your whole life and put it into a spreadsheet and make a hundred little lines, but tomorrow won't cooperate with you. And then if there's something left over at the end of the day, you can enjoy it. Let me show you what the Bible says. Turn, if you would, quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. By the way, 1 Timothy 6, a lot of the chapter is written to rich people. And I'd like to make an observation that if you live here in America and you're in this room, you're already in the top 10% of the world. We are very wealthy people. We have power. It has not gone out the whole time we've been in this room tonight. The power has stayed on the whole time. The air conditioning is working the whole time. Very few of you will walk home tonight. You'll get in a vehicle and ride. We are so rich compared to the rest of the world. And so 1 Timothy is for us. Look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that's us, that they be not high-minded, don't get proud. You didn't choose to be born in America. God did that for you. Nor trust in uncertain riches. Riches are not our salvation. Safety is of the Lord. But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy? I want to say one more thing, then I'm going to give you the answers for the rest of the back of the bulletin, and then I'll be done. Most people are unable to enjoy their life because every time that they go to Taco Bell and get a quesarito, is that what it's called? That's the newest thing that came out. I'd never heard of it. I, I'm, I'm fresh in America. I'm new, I'm new to America, but I'm hooked on quesaritos already. You go to Taco Bell and get a quesarito and you're eating that, that sandwich that burrito with rice in it, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to pay my electric bill. About that, what about that visa balance? And I didn't pay my tithe yet. And they can't enjoy what they have. They go on a vacation, and every morning they wake up and they're thinking about the bills back home and the debts they have to pay and the fact that they owe God, and they can't enjoy a vacation. And because many of us have lived that way so long, we have not been able to enjoy life. Do you know God has a plan for you to enjoy life? Do you know that if you're down at Taco Bell and you're eating whatever food you enjoy at Taco Bell, or maybe you don't even like Taco Bell, you, you're, you go out to eat somewhere and you're eating that meal, do you know that if you've already given God his 10% and you've already put the right percentage on all of your debts for that week and you've already, you've already put a certain percentage away in savings and you're preparing for the future, and you've paid all your bills for that week or for that month, 
and you got $10 left, that you can run right down to Taco Bell and spend that $10 and enjoy every single bite because it's your money. There is so much freedom in that. Do you know that when you've handled your money correctly and you've given God 10% and you've paid your debts and you've put a little bit aside in savings and you've bought everything you need for the month and you say, honey, we got enough money left over, we can go away for a night. Hey, we can take the kids and go to the park and stay over there in a tent and we can enjoy a little mini vacation and uh, we, can, we can upgrade a piece of furniture here in the house and man, this is going to be, you can actually enjoy life because you have prioritized what God wants you to do with your money and you put percentages on it and when you get down to the end and there's a little bit left over, you can enjoy spending it because you know that next week when you get paid, you're going to do the exact same thing again. You read through this book and you'll find a God that is a God of percentages and a God of priorities and he's given us a plan for our lives. On the back of your bulletin, the most important obligation I have is my tithe. The second most important obligation I have is my debts. The third most, most important obligation I have is my savings. The fourth most important obligation I have is my bills. After meeting these obligations, I am free to enjoy life. The best thing I can do with my money is give it away. You know, when we took the offering up tonight, it was a benevolence offering. That means that as a church family, just like in Acts chapter 2, we have some people that have needs. And in Acts chapter 2, the church had all things in common. And that means Barnabas said, let's see, God got his 10%. I paid my debts. I put a little bit aside in savings. Got enough food for the week. That's what's left over. And the son of consolation said, here, Peter, help somebody out. There's a joy in helping people that is like no other joy. But most of us don't have that joy because we want it. we're trying to help other people with money that belongs to somebody else. When you have your budget prioritized, whatever you have left over at the end, you can do whatever you want with. And if you decide, I'd like to send it on up to heaven and have some rewards waiting for me, then you can give it to somebody that needs it. And Jesus said, whatsoever you have done unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. If you want to pick up a book, it's back at the table. If you want to ask questions, I'll be in the West Overflow room after the business meeting.